Hello, my name is Jill. Hi, Jill. <laughs> the Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 20, 1 through 7. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sin, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Colleen. The New Testament reading is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 24. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these things won't inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Allison. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John chapter 15, verses four through five. Remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Thank you. Let's remain standing as we pray. Father God, thank you for today, that you have made it, that you sustain it by your power and your love, and that we, as your church, your beloved, get to gather. Unite us with you. Unite us with one another. So we open up your word now. Let the love of Christ reign in this place and have effect on us that we would not just come and go unchanged from this place, but we would meet with you and encounter you and therefore be changed from glory to glory and ultimately to your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Grab your seats, y'all. And good morning again. My name, if you do not know, is Evan Riedall. I have been on staff now for nine years at New Life Downtown. Take that, millennial stereotypes. We can't hold a job for a long time. All right. Um, 
And I get to preach today. Jason and Glenn have been in Israel this past week. I can't wait to hear how that trip has gone, uh, which means there's some room for me today, which is beautiful. I get to finish the series that we've been going through for the majority of the spring, asking the question, who is God? And specifically, we have broken it up into what we refer to as the Trinity, the idea that God is one and is three persons, the Father, and that was the the first person that we tackled in this series, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, And now, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about God, the Holy Spirit, and asking who is God. So I'm landing the plane today, and it's going to be great, and we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, But first... I want to just encourage all of us, uh, it's kind of like what Paul says, with the words that have you know, been encouraged to us, we now impart to you. There, we were in a prayer time as a staff last year, uh, you know, in the summer, summer, somewhere in the fall, and uh, there was just a word that was spoken in there that I have been encouraged by continually since then, and it felt like there was space today to, to impart it to you and to pastor you as this congregation. Because if you think of the last two years, ooh, yeah, have fun with that, okay? The last two months, the last two weeks, maybe the last two days for your lives, uh, there has been an insane amount of change that things keep on changing and they are things that are out of our control and out of our power and they're, they're people leaving and people coming and jobs changing and statuses changing and this thing that, and, and that work or that economic thing or that war or that whatever. And it, there's just this sense in the world that the pervading truth is the only constant is change. And I, I think sometimes people say that in like an optimistic way. I'm an eternal optimist. So it's like, well, the only constant is change, you know? So obviously that should mean we're okay. But what if I'm not, you know? And then there's the, uh, the, the, the Debbie Downers who are like, well, the only constant's change. So obviously it's just gonna keep changing. And if your name's Debbie in this room, I'm really sorry about that. Um, but in this prayer meeting last year, the, the word that came up in it, was, yes, it is true that change is constant, but that the truest constant is, is not change, that the truest constant is God in the midst of change. That there is something truer, and this is the thing that we're looking for, our souls are needing, because the change keeps on getting stacked on top of each other, so the, the impact and the repercussion of it keeps getting stacked, so even something that you go, I should be able to handle this, it's one little thing, it is one little thing on a line of little and big things, and we go, oh, what do we do with this change? And I want to just pastor us for a moment to say that the truest thing is not change in our lives, it is, it is God in the midst of that change, that higher than and greater than change is the unchanging God and that he will see us through all these things and, on, and we will be able to handle one more change because we can lean in and remember the God who doesn't change, that he was the same yesterday and today and tomorrow and he will continue to be the same and he is always with us and omnipresent and will never fail us. Oh. God is greater than the change that happens because he is unchanging. So I just, I want us just to, to soak that in right now. Maybe that you have just, it's been hard. You're tired, you're fatigued, you're whatever it is with all the transition and the change and the pivot and then pivot again. And then how many times do I have to pivot, oh God? And how many times do I have to message this Ross, you know, you know friends gift to each other of just like, just one more time. Like, yes, and even, even truer still, is the unchanging God in the midst of all of it. Amen? Amen. All right, well, we're gonna look at the word today and look at the Holy, 
Holy Spirit, who is God, the fruit of the Spirit in particular. Um, and I'm gonna have a lot of Bible. Is that okay with y'all? So if you're like, if you get whiplashed, I will send you my notes if you really want them. But we're just gonna go, because I'm gonna try to build out a, a biblical theology of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and that work in our lives. Uh, but also, I wanna, I wanna recognize, like the summer's begun, y'all. How's it going? Man, come on. Some of you are like, yeah, I got my plans all. And some of you are like, oh man, I'm not doing anything. But then there's some of you who are like, I'm doing nothing and it's great. <laughs> what are you planning? Nothing, it's awesome. So summer, I think, is a, is a really fascinating season because to me, even though I'm out of school, feels like September into May is fairly set. You kind of know what you're doing. You, you may travel a little bit, but you don't travel too much. It's kind of normal, it's ordinary. But then all of a sudden we get to summer and the world is our oyster. What do we want to do? There's so many options. I can do anything. And, and it's this beautiful, dynamic, new thing, which begs the question, what are you doing this summer? And from one person, you'll get, I'm doing nothing. From another one, they'll say, I'm going to Disneyland. And you go, oh, well, my plans were cool, but now I don't know what to do with that. Okay. Uh, for us, we're having a baby. Yes. Our third boy is on his way and he's due in the next two and a half weeks or so. So now you see me and then you won't. (laughs) It's gonna be great. Um, And for some of you right now, I know you're thinking this because I've heard you say it already. We're having a baby. Evan, how much are you really doing? I know. I know that I am not having a baby, okay? My wife is having the baby. But then if I go to the other side and I say, my wife is having a baby, the problem I fall into there is, well, aren't you a supportive husband? What are you doing? Like, you're gonna be there too, right? So I just wanna let you know, we are having a baby. I am not having it, but we'll do my best to support her, okay? We're good? All right. <laughs> We're having a baby. It's gonna be great. And it is the question. You probably have had it asked of you. You've probably asked it of somebody else. What are you doing this summer? And I think it's a fair question. I think it's a great question. It gets... It helps us connect and get to know each other, but it also neglects another question that I think maybe we don't focus on as much and we should, and that we're gonna talk about today. Not just what are you doing, but who are you becoming? If you were to think about this summer and say, I have three months before me of glorious 90 degree weather in Colorado Springs and think, God, AC exists, but not in Palmer High School. What am I doing for three months? June, July, August. I could tell you those things probably off the top of your head. You've probably made the plans already. Unless you're that spontaneous person and you're like, I'm gonna find out when I get there. We're just loading up the car to go camping. No idea where we're going camping. That's an anxiety attack for me, y'all. I can't handle that. Like, I need a plan and stick to the plan. What are you doing this summer? What if, though, we asked each other that other question? Who are you becoming this summer? And all of our doing, if our doing is an extension of who we are, and it's also a a practice and it reinforces who we're becoming, then we should be holding both of those questions in our hands. What are we doing, but how is it forming us? Who are we becoming? And then maybe our practice just start to shift a little bit to go, oh, who I would want to become 
isn't actually the product of all the things that I'm doing. So maybe I need to think about both of those things. So what are we doing? Who are we becoming? And I think it is our cultural bent to overemphasize what we're doing to the neglect of who we're becoming. We, we love productivity. We are a productive, just crazy country. And I think the world is operating this way. How much are you producing? What's the bottom line? Is it more efficient? Is it more effective? Just do it better. And in all of that squeezing and doing, we can get really good at our doing to the neglect of who we're becoming and how all of that doing is actually forming us. And I wanna say that our becoming is just as important as our doing because our charge as humans is to represent God to the world in both what he does and how he does it. By then reflecting that and what we do and how we do it. That when we're asking that question of what are you doing, who are you becoming, they are both so important because this is God's charge to us as humanity. And this is where I was saying we're gonna, uh, we're gonna jump into the scripture here. So jump with me, if you will. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us And this is, even as we're going through this series, who is God, the triune God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, that theology is rooted in the very beginning. Let us create them. And there is a plurality in the persons and yet a unity and a singularity in the person of God. And so it's this idea, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, present at the point of creation. Let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock of the earth, all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And what this opening text, the narrative starts with is that we represent God in our created calling. This has been referred to as the Imago Dei, the image of God. It's the Latin phrase for it. Of that, the fact that every single one of you in this room, and may I assert every single person that we will run into in this world, carries a unique designed image of God in their persons. That there are part of us as humanity separate from the rest of the animal kingdom that is meant uniquely to reflect and be an image and representation of the God who created us. And that this is true. I mean, Adam and Eve have this really wonderful thing at the beginning where uh, at that point in time, everybody was a believer in God. Wouldn't it be nice, right? There's just two of them. And it's like, you believe God? Yep, yep, good, we're set. We all believe. So what are we doing? We're, we're, we're going about the work that God has called us to, representing the person of God in what we do, and as I'm gonna build this argument and then how we do it, that our representation of his character in both of those things and we represent God in our created calling. The second part as the story unfolds is not that just that we represent God in our created calling, but that we also represent God in our chosen calling. Our created calling and our chosen calling. And what I mean by that is uh, there, there's, there's just believers, right? It's just Adam and Eve. Got it, check. As the story continues, sin comes into the world and it starts fracturing and breaking apart parts of relationships and societies and cultures that once were united and now are being divided through sin and death. 
And in that breaking apart, God says, I'm not just gonna scrap this, but I'm actually gonna call out of all of that, that chaos the chosen ones who will then bring my word and my kingdom and restore my order back into the world. And this is Abram, who becomes Abraham, has a bunch of kids. They get the 12 tribes of Israel. They go down to Egypt. They multiply like crazy. This is what they're supposed to do, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Great. You guys are tracking with me. And they get to that point where they come out of Egypt and Moses is their leader. And as the people of God, Israel, Moses has that encounter at the burning bush and says, now when Pharaoh asks, who should I say sent me? And, they, and God speaks from the bush and he says, I am. Yahweh is our translation. I am the I am has sent you. Now it's not just your created calling because you all carry the image of God. It is your specific chosen calling because you have been chosen as the people of God to carry the name of God, right? Exodus talks about this. This is our Old Testament reading, verse seven. I'm just gonna read this one verse. Do not use the Lord God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. And what, what the reference is, because as much as we want to admit it in this room or not, we're all probably okay at swearing sometimes. Can we say that in church? Like not, not, maybe not, not me, obviously, somebody else, but sure. That's happened, right? And we're like, ah, oh, God, something or other. And we're like, oh, you said the Lord's name in vain. True. That's not what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to use his name. But also, I think that minimizes the actual command of God in this moment. Because it's not just, oh, you, you used his name incorrectly. It's that his name has actually been placed upon you because you call yourself in this Old Testament context, Israelites. As the story continues, we see the story of Israel culminated in Jesus Christ. Now we take the name Christians upon ourselves. And we use that name and he's saying, actually, this is more about your misrepresentation of me than it is about the fact that you just let a swear word slip. It's the representation, the resemblance of our imago that was called in the beginning that when we're given the name Christians over us that we carry that name that becomes so weighty because we are then representing God to a world who cannot see him any other way. We represent God in what we do, our work, and in how we do it, the character with which is innate in what we're doing. Because we all know that we could do the same act with love and with hate, right? And so it's not just good enough to say, oh, I'm gonna do these good things. We have to do good things, godly things with godly character to more fully represent what God is like to the world who is wondering, right? Can I get an amen, people? Is this heat? Come on, y'all. All right. And it's just a fascinating model of how he has put it together because it's like God creates everything yet remains invisible except by reflection. He creates it all and yet self chooses to remain invisible except by the reflection of the, of the creation which he has created. And, in, and Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter one where all of creation reflects who God is, Right? I, lo- I love, uh, as, a, as a good Christian young lad, when I was younger than I am now, uh, going on hiking and being like, I'm gonna go spend time in creation. That's right, not nature, creation, because this is all God's. Uh, and now I'm a little older, I go, well, what nature does it reflect? God's nature. 
the very nature of God reflected in the natural world and creation all around us, right? It's very similar to the way that we then are called to reflect him by our calling, our created calling, Adam and Eve, the Imago Dei, and by our chosen calling as God's people with his name on us. But I wanna present one, one problem I think that we run into is that we overemphasize our work to the neglect of developing our character. We overemphasize the things that we're doing. It's that summertime question. What are you doing this summer? While neglecting, who are you becoming this summer? Because the character matters just as much. And if I was to tell you, what are you doing this summer? We're having a third baby. Great. So what are you becoming? More tired? Father of three? Practitioner of patience in all situations? Like, like there's so many things. We could, we could just pivot that question a little bit and find a fuller representation of what God is truly calling us into as his people. And I think that this comes in, and we're gonna look at our, our New Testament reading, which was in John 15, that when God calls us to bear fruit, I think we often go to the fruit of our works, What is the fruit of what you're doing? I want to see numbers. I want to see stats. Show me what you did. Praise the Lord for two salvations and and six recommittals for Alpha. Praise the Lord that we can say, look at Lord, this is what's happened. Praise the Lord. I bet there's a whole lot of seeds that got sown though that we're not going to know the fruit of those things for a long, long time. And in the midst of that, I think we also neglect that the fruit of the spirit theologically, if you track the way that Paul talks about fruit, isn't just what we do. It is the character that we do it with, right? Um, John 15, bear fruit. And then Paul in Galatians connects that. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. That it's actually both things held and that we need to uphold. Uh, I'm curious, like for summertime, I I mean, if I was a pastor, which I am, and I'm not telling you to do this, but you should. um, If you were to say summertime is a beautiful opportunity because we're outside more, because the weather's nice. We're in our lawns and yards more, uh, which means we're running into our neighbors more. Uh, How many of us, if you mapped out the neighbors that kind of directly border your house, know all of your neighbors' names, Right? Some of us would be able to say, yeah. And some of us are like, oh yeah, I never met them and they just moved in. Uh, by just, I mean like four years ago, but COVID, right? I mean, come on, COVID was in the way there. <laughs> and there's this works thing that I could say of like, I charge all of us to just get to know our neighbor's names. And then if you want to make that next step of inviting them over, you don't even have to bring them in your house, y'all. You can just go through the side gate and have a backyard hangout, Okay. It's so much better, right? And, and, and then all of a sudden, I just filled up your calendar and all of you are like, yeah, that sounds like good works. And all the introverts are like, what are you asking me to do? I don't wanna meet more people. Can I? I'm trying to hang out with the people I already know. So we could emphasize all of this doing, but I think we do it sometimes to the neglect of who we're becoming and that God's calling is to represent his image in and through our work and character that we're doing. The Apostle James, he wrote it this way, that faith without works is dead. That anything that we do in our faith, it absolutely needs to have work. And I wanna, I wanna maybe take it one step more, 
more reflective, at least in, in my life, and to say yes, and work without the fruit of the spirit of God's character will fall apart. Faith without works is dead, but work without the fruit of the spirit will fall apart. And how many of us know, and I, and I feel this acutely, um, being a pastor, the next news cycle, it seems like there's going to be something about that person who did great things for God. They were a lead pastor. They were a visionary. They were a whatever. They were so good at what they did. But when did it all fall apart? When their character wasn't matching the work that they were doing. And that there's a part of what we're being called to is to say, yeah, focus on the good works. Do those things because our faith, love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the spirit born in and through us will be on mission. There will be tangible signs of it all throughout the world in what we do. But the fact that faith falls apart when the fruit of the spirit, faith without works is dead and the works without the fruit of the spirit will fall apart, I think is something we just need to reflect on more and just to say that, that is where you built it all, it, it was great, and then why didn't it stand up? Because the character development was absent in there. And that Paul actually himself starts, starts zooming out into anything that God does and all that we're being called to, actually the character of God is innately present as well. So this is where we're gonna jump in a bunch, of, a bunch of scriptures. I'm gonna paint this picture for you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. It's the love of Christ that compels us because we have concluded this, that one died for the sake of all and therefore we all die. That Christ in, in the moment of the cross was not up there so that he would gain the best position at the right hand of the father. Though that sounds nice, right? Like, yeah, right hand of the father, that's where I'm going. I'm a straight shooter to the tap. It is the love of Christ that is compelling him to the point of the cross. And it is his love for us that then compels us to do anything. Ooh, 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And there is this theme of the love earnestly because we've been born again of an imperishable thing, which is his love and his word spoken to us. Romans 2, three through five. If you judge those who do these kinds of things while you do the same things yourself, and this is talking, he's talking about condemning one another or judging one another. Think about this. Do you believe that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you have contempt? And it's fascinating. And all the work that we're doing, that he would just start listing off character attributes of God. Do you have contempt for the riches of God's generosity and tolerance and patience? Don't you realize that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to change your heart and life? You are storing up wrath for yourself because of your stubbornness and your heart that refuses to change. And I, I think this verse in particular, um, I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up and, and uh, like we all did, right? Okay. Um, but I, I grew up always, always being the nice one. Like I was just a nice guy. Like even I ran into a, a, a acquaintance, friend acquaintance from high school months ago. And he's like, oh, I just remember, you're always just so nice. You were just so nice back in high school. And I was like, yeah, 
Yeah, I was the nice guy. As though being nice, and now I'm gonna translate this, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit different, the application of kindness. Maybe I was kind, and they didn't have that word, it's too big, four-letter word versus bigger word. Maybe we think of it sometimes as like just the little frosting on top. Like there's a substance of something, and then we'll just cover it over with niceties, and that'll just really make it sparkle. That'll be, that'll be great. Here, look, God loves you, and I am kind. When... I think sometimes that downplays the power of some of the fruit of the spirit that we're talking about. Because what Paul is actually saying here is, don't you realize that it's God's kindness that is supposed to lead to change in your heart? That it's actually, in the NIV translation, it's the kindness that leads to repentance. Okay, we're walking around all day long trying to figure out how can I love and be missional and, and do something that will bring the kingdom of God wherever I'm at. And I don't think our first answer is usually we should be kind because then, because we think it's just nice. It's a pleasantry. It's, this, it's the frosting on top of the cake. When actually the scripture talks about the very character of God cooperating with the works of God as the power of God to lead people to repentance, that it's the character of God birthed in us because we're receiving God's kindness ourselves that then we're able to turn around and the kindness that we then show others around us, anyone and everyone that we meet becomes a clearer reflection of what God is like. So in that clearer reflection, we can have a better response to the kingdom of God and the words that we're proclaiming. And this isn't just Paul saying it. Jesus has this beautiful example of it as well in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. We've heard this one. NIV, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. My assumption is we're weary and heavy laden because we've been working. We did a lot of stuff and we're really tired. And look at his invitation here. Come to me for rest. Verse 29, put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble. Why in the world does Jesus include his character in the midst of his invitation to him? And I think it's because the fullness of the kingdom truly comes when the work and the character are both represent, representing the God whom we're supposed to represent because the name of God who we're representing is upon us. And even Jesus is doing that. These show us then that the king, Jesus himself and God's kingdom is compelled and upheld by the fruit of his character born in us. The king and God's kingdom is compelled. This is Paul saying, it's the love of Christ that compels me, and it's upheld, meaning it won't just be something that falls apart because we're void of the fruit of the spirit and the character of God in us, but actually the king and the kingdom are compelled and upheld by the fruit of his character born in us. And this is a beautiful thing that I think that sometimes we miss. And, and character is really this thing that we, um, it's not just there. It's not just like, uh, I mean, we want it to be there, but it's not just there. We were at the park the other day, if I can use this story. Um, <laughs> we were at the park the other day and we were walking and I was wearing my tank top because it it's been warm out, right? And I'm walking with my tank top and if you know me, I don't work out much, okay? I work out a little, not much. And we were walking past this guy who worked out a whole lot. And he was wearing his tank top. <laughs> Which one of you have been working out? That guy. <laughs> Thankfully, my wife turned to me and said, it's okay, I, I, prefer, I prefer the way you look. And I said, yeah. 
That's right. Got a third kid on the way. You prefer the way I look. I don't got time for that anyways. But it was something that was obvious, right? That like, oh, look, that person must be working out. He must be exercising his muscles to the point where he's gained the skill. Or, or, or any of you in your job, you keep training, you keep learning, you keep reinforcing the skill. And then all of a sudden you get to a spot where you're an expert in it and you're going, wow, why are they so good? I would pretty much guarantee you it's not because they just arrived one day and they were born there like, this person's amazing at this thing. It's like, no, I had a, a, a talent and, and to it, I added more hard work and then developed it into a skill. And I, I can do this the way I do this with mastery because I worked at it. And that's, that's our works, y'all. What about our character trait? Is it similar the way that we work this out within us? And I, I, would, I wanna assert, yes, it kind of is. Wow, that person is so patient. I wonder if they were born that way. <laughs> it didn't work in me. I mean, my wife and I, we've been joking about um, like, you know, that, that moment, because we're having a third, if you haven't heard, uh, that moment that you wake up in the middle of the night because the baby needs something. And she's like, are you ready to, uh, to help me in the middle of the night? And I said, are you ready to be patient with me? Uh, <laughs> and she goes, oh, we both have work to do. And I said, great, yeah, we're, we're gonna work on it. <laughs> it's this idea that in the middle of the night, I am not just filled with patience. I love sleep, y'all. I love it. I do it at least eight hours a day, pretty much. Like, professional sleeper. Car, plane, park, doesn't matter. I can fall asleep. I am good. It's not like our patience is just all of a sudden, oh yeah, they're really good at that thing. What if, in asking some of that question, not just summertime, what are we doing, but who are we becoming? that there would be a unique call to God on our lives to more clearly reflect his work and his character by bearing the fruit of the spirit so we could say, this is what God is like. And that it actually starts not with us, but with looking at the person of Jesus. Not I have it apart from him, but I have it because of him. His patience with me helped me accept I can be okay. You're patient with me. Maybe in turn, your patience can be produced in me and through me so that the world would know what you're like, right? Because Jesus himself is this example. We talk about that invitation, but ultimately we represent the character and work of God to a world longing to behold the revelation of him. And ultimately we are living out a created calling to point them to Jesus who is the exact representation of God. Then when we talk about this, it's not just a nicety, it's the very power of God that we produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And it's all pointing to the one who is the representation. Because if that's what we're trying to do, God, I am saved by you, so I'm created like this, I'm called for this to represent you to the world, and I don't do it very well, let's keep working on that and point them to the one who did it perfectly. Hebrews 1, verses two through three. Recently, he spoke to us directly through his son, By his son, God created the world in the beginning and it will all belong to the son at the end. The son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says. Powerful words. It's not about us doing it perfectly. It's about us willing to grow in it. And ultimately, who are we reflecting? It's not like, oh yeah, that person is so godly because look at their patience. It's that person is godly, which really reflects Jesus because he is the truly perfect one who represented God. 
that we're looking around going, if God has imparted to us a call of humanity to reflect him in what we do in our work and in how we do it, our character, then we need to be looking to the son because he's the one who did that perfectly in his representation. And that the spirit's fruit in our lives, I wanna challenge this to us as we, as we land today, is more about a productive, humble proximity than our prideful productivity. It's more about a product of humble proximity than our prideful productivity. And this is what I mean, speaking of kids. I have, at William, we have, we have two boys right now, two and a half, two, we're working on that third one. Okay, great, it's almost there. William is our oldest, he, is, he just turned seven and he has cerebral palsy. If you don't know, it's a beautiful story of God interacting and continued interaction in our lives of grace, uh, but he just turned seven. And, and then our younger guy, his name is Alistair and he's three and he's almost four. Uh, but there's certain things where because of William's delays, they're on a similar page, which is really great because Alistair is a gift that challenges his brother to keep working. Uh, that kind of older brother looks over and goes, he's doing it, I wanna try to do it too. So we, y'all, have finally arrived at the point where they are putting on their own clothes. <laughs> Daddy, will you put my play clothes out for me? Yes! I'll see you in 10 minutes. Good luck. Oh man, and sometimes it just doesn't go well from the start. Like, is this the right way, daddy? No, you have both legs in one hole in your shorts. That is not gonna work. Can I help you? No, I'm gonna do it by myself. Okay, you do, it. You, do you right now, but that ain't gonna work. You have a head and an arm coming out the same hole in your shirt. Do you want help? No, I'm gonna do it by myself. I'd start over, kid. It's not working out, but they, they're doing it and they want to do it by themselves. They're, they're practicing it. They're working on it. It's getting produced. The skill and the ability to, to do it is getting produced in them. And at the same time, here's the tension between our humble proximity where fruit gets produced and our prideful productivity. Because the prideful productivity says, now that I've been able to do this, I needed you. I needed you to start this good work, but now I got it. So I don't really need you anymore. And I'm just gonna go do it on my own. And, and, and the very definition of our pride is a dependence upon ourself. And the definition of our humility is a dependence upon God. So yes, my kids are gonna to get to a point where they can do it by themselves. But here's the kicker. They always turn back to relationship with us as parents. Daddy, look, I did it on my own and I'm showing you and reconnecting to this relationship with you. Y'all, we should be experts at what we do. We should be bearing the fruit of all the works and all the character of God abundantly, but it would be our pride that says, now I don't need God for anything else. I can do it now, what do I need him for? Well, he's the one who created and he's the one who will sustain it. And this is then the invitation that, that Jesus makes to us, and this is our New Testament reading, John 15, that it's not just prideful productivity, but it's humble proximity. Remain in me, John 15, one through five. I am the true vine and my father is the vineyard keeper. He removes all the branches that don't produce fruit and he trims any branch that produces fruit so that it will bear all the more fruit. You are ready, you are already trimmed because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself. 
we can't fulfill the call of God by ourselves. Because if we did, instead of the fruit of the spirit and saying, I don't need you anymore, we would be producing the fruit of ourselves and that ain't so good, y'all. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can't do anything. I wanna invite the worship team up and we're gonna have a response moment right now where this is our calling. As created in the image of God, to reflect the person of God and called by the name of God as Christians to show the world in our work, what we do, and in our character, how we do it, bear the fruit of the spirit to the world. We're gonna spend some time just in this proximity that I just was talking about. Humble proximity that says, God, I can't do it on my own, I need you again. And if the father is really the vine dresser, he's the one who comes and trims, then asking him to say, God, take all this stuff that's my selfishness and my own way out of me. And not only get rid of that, but the, the open opportunity that when you trim off a branch off the tree or off the vine, what it ends up doing is creating space for the healthy branches and vines to grow and bear all the more fruit that we should be regularly coming, just like we do every Sunday. God, I'm coming into your presence. Prune me and fill me so that I can go and reflect you to the world. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through Galatians 5. And I want us just to spend a moment in proximity with the Spirit of God. Asking him to prune out that list that Paul was just referring to. All the things that he was saying, this is our selfish ambitions and desires. And just go one by one and go, God, take this out of me. Um, there's a little bit of a comedic break in there when it says we're gonna repent of casting spells. I'm assuming uh, that's not most of us. This is not New Life Manitou, but we're doing okay. Um, <laughs> ah, y'all, comedic break. Man, I grew up in the Springs and Manitou was like, the, yeah, you don't go there because there's witches there. So I'm assuming we're not doing that but repent anyways if you need to. But just, I, I'm pretty sure that somewhere in here, there's gonna be that thing that you're going, yeah, yeah, that's the selfish fruit. That's my fruit being produced in me, not the fruit of the spirit being birthed in me. And then with that space that we create and asking him to prune us, we're gonna ask him then to fill it with his spirit. And that'll lead us to the table. So here's the space, y'all. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious since they include sexual immorality. Father, prune out sexual immorality from our lives. Prune out moral corruption. Prune out doing whatever feels good. Prune out idolatry. Prune out in us drug use and casting spells. Prune out hate. Whew, God, we need you. Take out our hate. Prune out our fighting. Prune out obsession. Prune out losing our tempers. Remove these things.
prune out our competitive opposition. Holy Spirit, prune out conflict in us. Prune out selfishness and group rivalry. Father God, the vine dresser, prune out our jealousy. Take it out. Prune out drunkenness and partying and things like that. And instead, God, we ask you that we would bear the fruit of the Spirit, that you to us and through us would bear love, that we would know the way you love us, and that that would be a fruit born in us so that the world would know the way that you love, that you would bear in us joy. You would bear in us peace. That you would produce in us patience. Produce in us kindness. Produce in us your goodness, God. That we wouldn't be good apart from you, but only in you would we have some measure of the fruit of goodness for the world. Produce in us faithfulness. Produce in us gentleness. This is who you are, God. And produce in us self-control. There is no law against things like these. So God, let us live by the Spirit. Prune us and fill us, we pray. And we're gonna sing this prayer a little bit right now with this chorus refrain as we come to the table.